Welcome to the Responding to Life podcast. We are continuing on with special bonus episodes featuring guests from the last three seasons of the podcast. In this episode, we're discussing a very sensitive topic that may be triggering for some of you who are currently on your path to parenthood or are the one in four who has experienced pregnancy loss or miscarriage. In this episode, I'm sharing the courageous stories of how to heal after experiencing loss. In this episode, you will hear from authors Kim Hooper, Samantha Bush, and Monica Bibas, doula Lenny Stone, entrepreneur Tina Sugand, and advocate Kelsey Burley. The first fertility advocate we will be hearing from is Samantha Bush. Samantha is a wife, mother, entrepreneur, lifestyle blogger, IVF advocate, philanthropist, and co-owner of a professional race team. As a successful boss babe, Samantha is driven to empower women of all ages and backgrounds to live their best lives with confidence and poise. Her book, Fighting Infertility, celebrated its one-year anniversary this past March. In the book, she shares her battle with infertility, including her IVF experience, miscarriage, a failed cycle, and the overwhelming grief and depression that surrounded these obstacles. With this memoir, her aim is to break the silence and stigma that surrounds the infertility community. In this clip you're about to hear, Samantha shares with us her experience of loss, in particular how she grieved the loss of her daughter while mothering her firstborn child. She'll also detail how it can be hard to cope with your partner's grief process when it looks different from your own experience. You went on to um, go through IVF and and then you birth your beautiful son Brexton who is just I love looking at his pictures on your <laughs> on your feet he's so handsome thank um, you yeah it just it it brings a smile to my face every time I can see that people had you know their happy ending with the birth of a child but then after that point you decided to continue to grow your family and you began IVF again and at that point you experienced a miscarriage and I'm so sorry for your loss, Samantha. You know, the pain stays with, with us forever. I know from losing my own twins in um, my second trimester that it just it's almost can haunt you at random times. Yeah. Uh, so my listeners have heard my story of my grief process, which is like feeling the full expression of your feelings and taking the time and then finding hope to move on. So I'd love for you to share with us how you dealt with the grief and loss of your daughter. So we decided to go through IVF again when Brexton, uh, you know, he was potty trained, he was sleeping. We felt like we were in a good place and I was so confident. And I guess now looking back, very naive because when we went through IVF the first time, I mean, partially because of my PCOS, we retrieved 34 eggs, 15 fertilized, eight of them ended up making it. We had, you know, we put the first embryo Brexton in and he took and I had a healthy pregnancy. And so to me, there was no reason that that wasn't going to happen again. And so for our second round, I was like, you know what, Kyle, I'm going to document everything. I want people who are going to go on this journey to see, to feel, to hear it all so that they're not as nervous about going into it. I was like, I want to show them the shots and the embryo transfer and the medicines and like just this really real account of what happens. That's not doom and gloom, but that's like, Hey, look, I hate needles. If I could do this, you could do this. If I could do this, you know, being on a plane four days out of the week, like 
here's how you can do it if you're traveling or if you're working or if you have kids. Like, I just really wanted to have this really awesome, positive, like empowering account of it. And so we started filming everything and documenting it all. And we went, we did the embryo transfer and, um, you know, Braxton was so excited. We were very open and honest with him. And then, you know, we did the transfer waited the 12 days, got the positive test. And, and since we had been sharing everything, we told people right away, like, yes, we're pregnant. Everything's great. Um, we announced it on Thanksgiving. We did a photo shoot that day. Braxton had his big brother shirt on and we were in front of the Christmas tree and, and we made our Christmas cards to basically be, you know, our announcement just on cloud nine, you know, like, this is great. This was we felt good that, you know, people were like, oh, thanks for sharing all this. Like, I've learned so much. I'm not nervous anymore. And we're like, yes, this is what God called us to do. Like, you know, obviously besides our foundation, like this, this is what we're meant to do with this platform is to just make the topic of IVF normalized and talked about and people to feel good. And, um, it was just a few days after we announced I was playing with Brexton and I started bleeding really bad. And, um, I go into a lot of detail of it in the book, but, you know, we ended up going to the doctor and it was what was a threatened miscarriage where, um, you know, she was still in there. She was much smaller than they had hoped, but my cervix was closed. So they're like, we can't, you know, your numbers have still gone up since the last time. So we can't really tell you. And so then I had to wait 48 hours, which happened to put us in Las Vegas for the NASCAR championship banquet weekend. Um, and I've had a lot of people ask me like, well, why did you go? And the thought of being home by myself and without Kyle, who was like my rock through all of this, just like, terrified me. You know, I was, I just, I was like, I can't, I can't like, we're going to go. It's going to be okay. I read online, like threatened miscarriages half the time they work out fine. Like, I'm just going to, this is going to be part of our story, right? Like I'm going to tell her when she's little, how, you know, she was always, you know, scaring me from day one and, and, and was strong and, and a fighter and, and all these things. And so we went for the blood test and, and the thing was I had stopped bleeding. Like the day I left, the office after I got checked within an hour after I had blood and blood and blood, there was nothing, nothing at all. And I was like, that has to be a good sign. So, you know, we went out to Vegas, we did blood work, um, getting ready for the banquet, no call, no call, no call, no call. And I'm like, Oh, I'd like to know something. Right. Mm -hmm. So literally they're like pinning the last of my hair and I'm getting, you know, and I'm, I'm almost ready it's like the red carpet in 20 minutes and the call comes in and I'm like, okay, you know, this, this is going to be good. It's all going to work out and get the call. And, you know, she was like, we're sorry to tell you, like your numbers have gone down. Um, if, if you haven't experienced any bleeding, like you'll finish essentially your miscarriage naturally in the next, you know, upcoming days. And I was like, no, no, that's, it's not true. That's not true. She's a fighter. It's, you're like, you're lying. This, this isn't, this isn't true. This cannot be happening. Like this, this is just not how it's, it's not how our story goes. It's not how it's going to happen. And I just shut down. Um, like I calmly finished getting ready and I told Kyle and it just, it wasn't registering. Like 
he tried to hug me and I was like, no, I'm fine. Don't hug me. Like no, this is, they're wrong. Like they're going to come back and, and it's going to, it's, it's fine. It, this isn't true. And then the days to come, I finished miscarrying, which was just like, overwhelming knowing and, and having to like almost go through it twice, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just so devastating. And then, you know, for the days and the weeks to come, I don't know a better word to say than you're just, you're in a rut. Like I didn't want to go do anything. I didn't really want to talk to anyone. I would literally spend all of my energy trying to be a good mom and like, it just pour myself into attempting every day to pretend to be a normal person when in the inside, like everything was just falling apart, learning that we grieve different and that just because he might be in one place and I might be in another, there's no timeline. Um, and just figuring out how to support each other in the right ways and, and things to say to each other or not to say to each other. And, and we learned a lot from a therapist on just how to talk with each other. I would love to sit with Kyle and just talk and talk and talk and vent and, and tell him how I was feeling and tell him what, you know, all the things I was feeling all the time about the miscarriage, right? Like over and over and over because it was like a release of all the sadness in me. And for him, he was like, I don't want to constantly relive this. Like it hurts. And I don't, you know, like I've held your hand through it, but now we have to move forward. And so our therapist was like, look, we're going to set a 10 or 15 minute timer and a certain number of days a week that you both agree on right here, right now. And when you need to talk, Sam, you're going to put this timer on. Kyle, you're going to put down your phone. You're not going to roll your eyes. You're not going to do the, I can't believe we have to talk about this. And you're going to give her 10 minutes and you're going to be supportive and you're going to talk back. And Sam, you're going to release everything. But when that timer goes off, like it's done and you can't mope, you can't be sad. Like you got it out and now you have to move forward. And and it took some of that and it took that compromise and it took both of us getting back on the same page to then be able to really heal and grieve and process. And also not only from our marriage, but the outpouring of support from the social community in this infertility sisterhood was what helped me. The next guest you'll hear from is Kim Hooper. Kim is the author of five novels. Her personal experience of four pregnancy losses inspired her to co-write All the Love, Healing Your Heart and Finding Meaning After Pregnancy Loss with her friend Meredith Resnick, a licensed social worker. In Kim and Meredith's episode, Kim shares her process of healing and navigating grief after her four losses, how it affected her relationships, and how to return back to normal life after experiencing a loss. Starting in 2015, I um I lost my first pregnancy and then I, I ended up having four losses in total. My first loss was an ectopic pregnancy and then I had an early miscarriage um, and then I lost um, my son in the second trimester for my third pregnancy and then my fourth was another ectopic pregnancy, um, very unusual and rare. And um, my fifth pregnancy was totally textbook and I have a now three and a half year old daughter. It's, it's so common for couples to have strain um, 
after a pregnancy loss. Um, I think one half of the couple, usually the non-gestational partner, the one who's not carrying the baby is kind of feeling like they need to have, be stoic and strong. And, um, you know, while the other partner feels like they're more breaking down, um, there can be resentments on both sides. I mean, when I was going through mine, I was of course so consumed that I didn't, I was only focused on my own resentments. Like, why can't my husband, um, show more emotion about this? Like, why am I the only one who's feeling this upset? Um, did it not affect him? And I think for him and talking to him and, you know, we did little like interviews with him in the book where you kind of see his thoughts alongside mine in the book. Um, I think he was kind of like, have I lost my wife? Like, how do I get her back? Um, you know, uh, it was very unsettling for him to see me sad and struggling because, you know, he'd kind of seen me as like a rock, um, in our, in our life. So, um, you know, I've kind of developed compassion for both people in the situation. And I think that's why we wanted to give so much attention to that topic in the book. In terms of friendships, I, I think you really do realize like who can be there with you in the hard times and who is not um, afraid to go to that painful kind of deeper level. Um, I mean, I, I had some friends who were saying things like, let me know when you're up for a happy hour. <laughs> and um, I just kind of realized that those friends were not going to be my grief go-to friends. Um, and sometimes you come back around to those people when life circumstances change, or sometimes you just outgrow a relationship because you just realize that you've been through so much that's kind of changed you and you don't relate as well. So, and I think either way is fine. Um, I don't think there's like a right or wrong about it, but I, I do feel like I kind of deepen the relationships that really mattered to me the most. Um, and you know, some of it was painful realizing people who weren't really capable of being there for me, um, realizing, you know, what people can give and what they can't. And then I think in time, putting it in perspective of it, it's not a reflection of anything, but their own discomfort with grief. For me personally, it was very difficult. Um, I felt kind of, and when we say normal life, I mean, we kind of say it in quotes because, um, I mean, what is normal, especially after a loss that can be so jarring. Um, but for me personally, it was, it was like resuming certain routines, certain socializing, going back to work. Um, and in all those instances, I felt kind of, um, disoriented is the word, like kind of just like I was on another planet, like everybody else was kind of going about their business. And I felt like I had gone through this thing that to me was very monumental and I wasn't relating to them. Um, so in terms of advice, or I think some of the things we talk about in the book, like, for example, if you're back at work, um, carving out time in your day, if you can, for reprieve so that you can have um, a time to kind of connect with yourself um, in the midst of all the chaos of quote unquote normal life. Um, I would go to my car on lunch breaks and sort of just either breathe or just have a cry if I needed to, or use that time to just kind of text in peace or read a book. Um, so um, just like a break in the day to kind of um, come back to myself because it, it can feel very jarring to just be thrown back in the mix of the world. Um, what's particularly hard with pregnancy loss too, is that a lot of times people don't 
know you were pregnant because we have this unspoken rule about not sharing a pregnancy in the first trimester, which is when the majority of miscarriages happen. So um, that's also very alienating. So when you're going back to life and, you know, you're at the gym and people are like, oh, haven't seen you in a while. You know, how's it going? And You just want to like cringe and crawl under a rock because how can you even answer that question? Um, in a simple way. So um, it can be overwhelming. I think just taking taking space for yourself, if there are situations like at work, um, if there is somebody you work with that you can trust and kind of talk to and make them kind of like a person that you can lean on a little bit. If you can ask your manager, if you can have certain days where you work from home, if that's possible with the type of work you do, um, or just having breaks in a day to kind of help ease back into things. Because um, it's just, it's difficult to get back into it. I don't, I don't know if there's any easy way. My next featured guest is Monica Bivas. Monica is a mindset and holistic fertility coach, speaker, writer of the book, The IVF Planner, and founder of The IVF Journey, an online community for women and couples to find support, hope, and connection with other individuals contemplating or experiencing in vitro fertilization. Monica is a certified fertility coach from the Wholesome Fertility Program and specializes in mindset and emotional support for individuals and couples trying to conceive via ART like IVF or IUI, as well as emotional support in pregnancy and infant loss. Her book, The IVF Planner, is a journal and guide for women undergoing fertility treatment and has another book forthcoming about her life-changing experience with IVF treatment and her stillbirth and loss experience at 39 weeks of her baby daughter, Isabel as well as her following miscarriage at seven weeks after trying IVF again. In this next clip, you'll hear Monica's experience with two pregnancy losses, how pregnancy loss affected her marriage, and how she felt carrying the second child after going through those previous losses. We did the first cycle and it was successful. It's uh, now my 15-year-old daughter, Elia. So we said, wow, it's, it's easy, so it's going to happen again. However, in that time, nobody explained us that we could uh, have the chance to freeze eggs or to freeze embryos. So we didn't know. The clinic didn't told us. And we just, you know, have the baby and said, together with my husband, in another two, three years, we're going to try again. And it's going to be that easy, like this first one. And we did that. But this is where really my journey starts. Because we went back to the same doctor and we did a second cycle. But um, the nurse in that time in the clinic, he has only like one or two people working in the clinic. They um, did a mistake switching the charts with another uh, another patient. And the dose that was um, put on me uh, of the medicine was the wrong one. So I got OHSS. Uh, and my ovaries became balloony, so they had to cancel the, the, the cycle due to that reason. And it was really frustrating. Uh, he took responsibility for that, and uh, he said that he's going to give us the next cycle. But, of course, you know how it is. I needed to wait at least three months for my body to clean from all the medicine and all the drugs that are stimulants. We jumped into the third cycle in about four months later, and um, I got pregnant. Uh, I was 37 years old, and uh, everything was going okay. But uh, 39 weeks, I had Isabel was a stillbirth because I developed some issue with my, my blood. So a blood clot in the umbilical cord, you know, basically uh, 
with my baby. So I had to go and deliver at 39 weeks, my daughter, and that was very devastating. I was lost emotionally, you know, wrecking my husband too. And my coping system in that time was like, I need to jump into another IVF to fill that hole, that pain, to replace that baby. You know, that's, I will say a survival reaction. So I started to kind of drill my husband about that. And he was against because he was somehow more rational. I was seeing that I need to grieve and heal first. And then we go there. But I was very stubborn. Um, my RE, our RE recommend another doctor. We went through him. He told me exactly the same that he thought that it was too fast that I need to heal. But I was totally blind, totally, you know, deaf. I didn't listen. So we jumped into another IVF and I got pregnant, but unfortunately at seven weeks, I miscarried. So from this time, you know, like a pain and another, another pain, everything kind of came down, you know, like all, all like when they say when it rains, it purrs or something like that. <laughs> I'm sorry, my accent. Uh, my, you know, my emotional state was terrible. My marriage started to crumble. We almost got divorced with my husband. Uh, it was a very terrible time. And um, eventually we kind of came back and talked and said, you know, we need to dedicate time for ourselves, take a break, see if we can fix this relationship. We have already a daughter. And we took a year. And after a year, we decided that we're going to do our last try, the fifth cycle. And whatever is going to happen, we're going to accept it with love and it's going to come the way it is. So we did our last cycle. I got pregnant. It's now my seven-year-old daughter, Maya. When I lost her, when the stillbirth happened, I was like putting guilt on myself. I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't enjoy the pregnancy or I was not connected with that or all of that. And then that kind of feelings work totally the opposite on my pregnancy with Maya, which is my fifth, sixth cycle. So this is actually, this fifth cycle, this pregnancy is what started to inspire me to, to work in more, being, being calm, kind of learn how to find balance, not perfection, but balance in accepting that, you know, I'm not going through a difficult, I'm not going through an easy time because IVF is not easy. Uh, I know I've been aware of what I am going to feel, the thoughts, the ups and downs, the fears, the what if, they're going to be in the bathroom and check every time, you know, my underwear that if I'm bleeding, all of that, being more aware. And uh, because of the loss of Isabel, I was very upset on God. And I learned that it's okay that we can be upset on God too, because you asked, where is God? Why this happened to me? I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. I didn't do nothing bad to no one. And then it took the other switch. So I learned and I say, you know what? I'm, maybe I was far from God. I'm going to start to pray more. And I bought my uh, pregnancy book and all of that. But, <laughs> but there is always a but. When Maya, at around 22 weeks, I start to feel uh, the baby. I didn't know it was a girl because I didn't know. I didn't want to know what she was. My husband wanted to know. So when we went to the sonogram, I told him, if you want to know, they can tell him, don't tell me. So they told him and they didn't tell me. And I'm like, okay with that. But when she started to move, Josephine, that, it was a little bit of a nightmare because I learned 
toe perfectly to count her movements and to see at what times exactly she will move. Even when I was sleeping, she used to move. I will never forget. She used to move every time when I was sleeping between 2.15 to 2.30 in the morning. If this baby will not move in that range of time, I will wake up like a crazy woman, wake up my husband, almost giving him a heart attack, telling him to bring me orange juice or chocolates because I needed to make sure that the baby will move. So I, during that pregnancy, I never let her sleep. And she's a hyper like crazy. She's a little earthquake. And it's my, <laughs> <laughs> and it's my boy. But that, you know, during that time when she started to move, it was a little nightmare. But still I kind of tried to find balance. So whatever regrets we feel when we have losses, they are absolutely okay. And whatever regrets we feel when we get pregnant again and we have had a loss, it's totally okay. Because, you know, there is nothing um, bad in life or difficult or sad that will not bring you joy. It, why? Because that's life. Life is balanced. You know, like black and white. It's like that. Why there is love? Because... There is hate. So somehow we need to learn to switch it. Uh, you know, why there is pain? Because there is happiness. You need to know both. So what brought me all this, this sadness of Isabel and my miscarriage took me to a place that I needed to learn balance. And you know what helped me to heal completely? And I can tell you that. Completely heal the loss of Isabel. I truly believe, and this is my belief, this is my feeling, that spirit babies, our kids, choose us as a parent. We choose our parents, actually. So I am so sure that the soul of my Isabel is the same soul in, in my Maya with different vehicles. Maya is, you know, of course, she's a unique person, but it's the same soul. It came back to me. That little soul. So when I lost her, when it was still very, it was not the time to come. So when when she born, when she was born, my husband was the one, the first one that saw her, because um, they wanted also to make sure that uh, she born good and she don't have breathing problems and all of that. Uh, and then when he brought her to me and put her on my chest, that moment I felt. We felt that I was forgiven because like you said, that guilty feelings of, you know, when you lose a baby, I was so, I was feeling so guilty that I did something wrong, that it was my fault that I lost Isabel, that that was one of the things that it was still there on me, even after, uh, you know, after the pregnancy and all of that, during the pregnancy of Maya. When I put her, when he put her on my arms, I felt relief. I felt that that guilty feeling was gone. And now we will hear from Tina Sugand, who dealt with her five pregnancy losses and continued to have three beautiful children. Tina is an international Bollywood star, reality TV personality, and founder of Mom on Top Shop. Sugand and her husband, Tars, starred on a series of reality shows, including Bravo TV's Newlyweds, the first year. An advocate for miscarriage awareness, Sugan has publicly shared her eight pregnancies and five miscarriages. A mom of three, she encourages other women to carve their own parenting path and ignore the haters. 
Many of us who experience pregnancy loss are always in search of answers, but don't often know how to advocate for themselves, what questions to ask, what tests to ask for. So in this clip, Tina shares how she advocated for herself with each passing miscarriage and how she stayed connected to herself throughout this harrowing journey. One in four pregnancies end in miscarriage. And I think that is so important to get out there. Um, I, I had five miscarriages and initially I did not know this information and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, just like a lot of women, uh, I, I thought there was something wrong with me. I was like, my body's not able to do this whole baby thing. What's going on? And um, so once I learned that information, that one in four pregnancies and miscarriage, it was not only something that made me feel more normal um, and less ashamed, but it was also, I made it like my life mission to just get the word out on that. Um and I, I actually was able to go one of the times that I was on Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen. Um, I was able to say that it was it was during like I think it was the one where I did a really stupid pregnancy review. Just <laughs> 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 very silly and like I my belly was jeweled up and it was and, and actually so was hubby's. Um, it was very <laughs> very interesting. Uh, it was a very interesting show. But yeah, so I was able to say that. Um, and millions of women were listening and. That was, that was honestly, I mean, I've done everything from, you know, play and jam and be on Ringo Starr's last album to, you know, I, I've just done a lot of things I'm very grateful for, but that was probably my career highlight because of the amount of women that emailed me afterwards saying things that I'm getting goosebumps right now talking about it. Um, that just made me tear, um, things that, you know, their husband blames them for their miscarriages and their family is ashamed of them for miss. It just, all these things that are just horrible. So, so, the, um, I would say out of all my struggles and I'm happy to go into all, all the rest, <laughs> um, but that was probably the biggest one. I had a mom that made me this positive. And so with, with every miscarriage, um, what really, again, what really, really changed my mindset was, again, knowing that one in four pregnancies are miscarri miscarried and that it's normal and it's okay. And the fact, I didn't know that in the beginning. And that was hard. That was hard. Thinking that um, there's something wrong with me and that maybe my body couldn't do this. Um, and I'm all, I've, like I said, I'm a positive person. Um, my Instagram is really like about trying, trying to instill positivity to other women because I think that is everything. Attitude is everything. So yeah, that first one was definitely hard not knowing that information. But once I learned that it was so super common, um, and again, this is why I, I love what you are doing and I thank you because the problem is that not enough women talk about it. Women are ashamed of it. And, 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 you know, if you're a private person, I'll, do, do you do your thing. If, if it's not something you want to talk about because you're private, that's fine. But if it's something you don't want to talk about because you're ashamed, I'd love for to change that with women. Um, so, so what really helped me was no longer being ashamed of it. Um, realizing that I'm absolutely not alone. Um, I mean, I've talked to so many women about it and I was so shocked as to how many women that were willing to be open with me were just like, yeah, I had two miscarriages. Yeah. Oh yeah. I had a miscarriage. And I, I, not knowing how common it was, I was shocked about all the women that were, you know, just, just, just went through what I went through. And so I really, I'm really grateful to all the women that do speak out. Um, and I, that's definitely what helped me along my journey. 
I would say, I mean, my advice, if you are going through all of this is, is just talk, just be open. You can be, be gentle, but just be open. And, and another cliche communication is everything in a marriage. And I, I can't stand behind that more. Um, it's, it's so important in everything, especially when you're going through my gosh, my gosh, I mean, child loss and, and all of these horrible things that people endure, um, and pregnancy can be hard. I mean, everything from the hormones and the emotions. I'm already like insane as it is. And so pregnancy made me even crazier. And my husband was just here for it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, he was just like, I, he's like, I married the crazy. I'll take the crazy. And um, so, so yeah, I mean, he, I, I would just say, just communicate, just talk, just talk about, um, gently talk about what you're feeling and what you're not feeling. And I think that's how you get through things in life. And um, it, I just think it's so important to be open and honest. I feel like if you don't discuss, like, you know, when you had a miscarriage, A, B, and C, then five years later, that will come out. It, you'll harbor that negativity and it'll come out in a different way. So I, I think that's how we got through everything. It's just very, very open communication, gentle, open communication. The final two guests you will hear from are fellow fertility advocates, Lenny Stone and Kelsey Burley. Kelsey has gone through multiple IVF cycles and miscarriages and is passionate about sharing information and resources as a means to educate and therefore empower women. She recently made the decision to pursue the donor egg path. Linny suffers from recurrent pregnancy loss, APS, which is a blood clotting disorder, and diminished ovarian reserve. She shares her experience with loss and advocating to get answers for herself while helping spread awareness on women's health and fertility issues. I'm happy to report that since our recording, Lenny gave birth to her beautiful daughter several months ago. In this clip, you will hear their personal stories of loss and grief, as well as strategies that they employ to help them thrive and not just survive during the challenging path to parenthood. So my husband and I got married in 2017. Um, we started trying, we stayed married for about a year um, before starting to try. And then in about August of 2018, we got pregnant after like a month or two of trying. So we were super excited. Um, we were maybe five or six weeks in and I had some heavy bleeding. And so I knew something wasn't right. I had like crazy back pain, like unreal to the point where I was like, this isn't normal. Um, I ended up going to the emergency room and there I found out that, um, because I couldn't find the baby in my uterus, I found out I had an ectopic pregnancy and that's kind of where my journey began. Um, for those who don't know what that is, it's basically when the fertilized egg implants outside of the uterus. So, um, it can't be very dangerous because it can rupture if, um, and can cause damage to your organs and your fallopian tubes. And so, um, so then and there I miscarried in the hospital after my surgery and we started trying to conceive for about another year or so and no luck, you know, ovulation, test strips, temperature, like nothing's working, um, time to intercourse. It's just not, nothing's working. So, um, about, I want to say about a year after that, I went and saw my OB and he gave me a referral to get an HSG test, which is basically when they put the dye um, in your tubes to make sure there's, you know, a steady flow going through. And that's when I found out I had blocked tubes. And so they kind of chalked it up to be, well, it's probably because 
um, your surgery caused some scarring on your fallopian tubes and nothing can get in and out of there. So that's why you're not getting pregnant. So he's like, well, there's nothing I can do basically from here. You need to go see a fertility specialist. So I stopped seeing my OB and I got referred to go see a fertility specialist. And this was December of 2019. So I started, I went to my very first appointment in 2020 of January and they basically were like, well, you have block tubes. Your basically only option is IVF. So we're like, okay, well, this is what we're going to have to do. Um, it was kind of just a shock because we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. I look back and I'm like, wow, I was so naive going into this. I just thought like we were going to like, you know, pay some a hefty amount of money and go through this long drawn out process, but then we would have our baby. <laughs> and then after three rounds, um, and a miscarriage, here we are um, to this day, and I still have not, you know, have not had a baby. You know, everyone processes their grief differently, and there's no right way to grieve. That's the only good thing about this process is you can grieve however you want, and sometimes that means taking, you know, a week, a year, it, do- it doesn't matter, um, whatever you need. For me, um, Grieving was just taking a minute to process and mourn like our loss um, and then find something to look forward to. So whether that be what's coming next, our next step with IVF, um, because like I said, we had three failed rounds, which um, our third one ended with a miscarriage at seven weeks on our wedding anniversary. So that was that one hit me so hard. Um And I took a little bit extra time after that miscarriage. That was my second miscarriage. And we had actually just bought a new house. It was our first home. So having that really helped, I think, because it kept me busy and motivated and gave me something to look forward to. But as before, it was like, well, let's go on to the the next retrieval or transfer because I just wanted to keep going. Like, I'm just so motivated to get there. And I, I don't know, I just think grieving for me personally was always like, you know, just take a second to process and then find something to look forward to. Because I, I think after my first carriage, I was in such a rut for so long. I isolated myself from my friends, my family, and it took me a while to climb back into like everyone's life. And I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to alienate myself. My friends were there and ready to be supportive of me. And I just pushed them away because I was just like so depressed. And I just, um, I knew after this last miscarriage, I didn't want to relive that. Um, because not only was it hard not having the support of everyone, but it was hard to like kind of regain those friendships back and everything. Cause I had not talked to anyone for so long. Um, but yeah, I just think you should grieve however feels right to you. And that's just how I personally did it. Just take things day by day. You know, I, went into this and I've been so rushed trying to get to the end goal um, where it's not a race. You just, you need to take things day by day. Um, And I think the whole time I was just a complete stress bucket. And I think it's like, if that obstacle comes, then you can deal with it. 
but there's no sense in worrying about it before, you know, um, and Lenny and I have talked about that before. It's like, wait, you know, wait until, and if it even happens to worry about something, you know, don't already put those negative thoughts in your head. Um, so I, I just think that, you know, just realizing that, look, you slow down. It's not a race, you know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen and there's just no control. So you have to just kind of roll with the punches and take things day by day. So my story um, is that my husband and my, he's my husband now, but we actually got pregnant um, shortly after getting engaged and it was a surprise. We weren't trying, we weren't not trying, um, but we weren't trying and it happened and I can be, you know, I'm a planner and I'm like very detailed and meticulous. And so I had kind of always hoped that that's how it would happen, that it would just be a surprise because I didn't want to stress out about everything that I'm stressing out about now. <laughs> um, and so I, we got pregnant. It was a surprise and we were so happy. And I just felt like, okay, this is awesome. I don't have to worry about this. Um, and it's just going to be easy. And then, um, we had our ultrasound scheduled for 10 weeks. Um, and we went in and same thing, like they couldn't find the baby. Um, and she said that it had stopped developing and I was in shock. Um, I didn't want to believe it. And I'm a researcher. I just, I never take anything for what they say. I always have to do my own research. So of course I went and did, you know, my own reading and found that, you know, sometimes they can't find anything because you're off on your timing, you know, like not as far along as you thought you were. So I was like, maybe that's it. And she said, I need you to come in. This this happened on a Wednesday. And she was like, you need to come in for a DNC on Friday. And I was like, no, <laughs> I need time to process this. And I want to make, I, I want a second opinion. And we actually waited another week. Um, and I went to a specialist um, for an ultrasound. And they said the same thing. It sucked because I, I got there and the first thing she said was, oh yeah, okay, I see the stack. So you are pregnant, you know, and then she kept looking and she was like, actually, yeah, there's, it's not there anymore. And by then I had been, you know, I told my husband, like, I just need to do this for me, but if it doesn't work out, then I'll let it go, you know, but I just needed to have that extra reassurance. We tried again during our wedding week. We had a destination wedding, so we were gone for a week. And I got pregnant immediately. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. Um, like, I must be so fertile. I remember thinking that. And it's crazy to think that now because I've learned so much about my body and where I'm actually at. But at that time, that's what I thought. And I just I was so excited. And we um, miscarried just a few weeks after the wedding, um, you know, like a month or so after. Uh, and so it was just like devastating to go from like really, really high, you know, you're, you're, you have your wedding and you're super excited and you get pregnant and it just feels like all your dreams are coming true. And then I went from that to like a month later devastated because I had lost the pregnancy again. And now we're newlyweds, you know, and I'm supposed to be happy and excited on a newlywed bliss, newlywed honeymoon. And instead I was like, 
depressed. And so we tried, uh, we didn't, we, I, I miscarried naturally at home. And then we found out like a month later that I was pregnant again. Um, but then it, it didn't work out. Um, I lost it again. And it was just like this, I was just really down. And I just was like, why is this happening? I don't understand why this is happening to me. Like, what did I do wrong? I felt devastated doesn't begin to describe how I felt. I felt like my body was a prison. I, I told my husband, I felt like I was in a straitjacket. Like I wanted to escape my body. Like I wanted a new body. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And, um, we, I, I was just like, I need answers. And I became obsessed with getting answers. And because of that, we found out I have uh, antiphospholipid syndrome, which is a blood clotting disorder. And women who have this have like a 70 to 80% chance of having a miscarriage or stillbirth, hence my three losses. Um, and that's if they're not medically monitored. If you are, then you have a very high chance of getting to full term. Um, and I have low AMH, um, which means that I have low, I have less eggs for my age than I should. So I'm not fertile, as fertile as I thought I was. Um, and now I've been working with an RE, um, I just changed clinics actually, and we're, um, trying out different things to help me get pregnant. Um, cause we've been trying again after a break, um, and it hasn't happened, uh, even with like medicated cycles. And so we're trying to figure out what's going on now, but it's been like, like I said, a roller coaster ride. And it's, you know, I just relate to Kelsey because it didn't start off that way. You know, it started off easy. Um, and I would have never imagined that it would have turned into what it's become. I didn't at first want to take a pause. Um, I was all over the place. I was a confused mess. I was, you know, it was like, I don't want to try again because I'm scared, but I'm scared of taking a pause because what if it never happens? Uh, it was just overwhelming, but, um, the pauses have allowed me time to be me again. Um, and I, I, I recommend that because you can get lost in this journey. Um, and that doesn't mean you won't find yourself again. But you can go through moments where you just feel like you lose yourself. And I think that that's why those pauses, those breaks can be so helpful. Um, But I also highly recommend for anybody going through grief, trying to figure out what to do, how to get through it, to seek support, whether it's through a therapist, a bereavement coach, um, an online community, um, because it people who find support groups have been shown to do better in general when going through any kind of grief or struggle. Um, That sense of community can be life-changing. And also looking up the stages of grief um, because that helps you understand what you're going through. And it just makes you feel more normal. You know, like if you're going from a moment of, I feel I'm like, uh, you know, um, confused and then angry and then I'm sad and then I'm happy. And you're like, what's going on with me? Why am I feeling this way? It's important to look up the stages of grief and understand that that's part of the process. You know, Um, these feelings are uncommon to us. It's something we're not familiar with. We're not prepared to handle them. And knowing that and understanding, okay, I 
I, this is new to me. This is something I didn't plan for. And I, and so therefore I didn't prepare for it. Um, allows you to accept like, and that's why I don't know what to do. Um, but that's okay because I'm learning and I'll get through this little by little. Um, but those are my recommendations. That's kind of what I did. And, you know, every loss was different. I responded differently to it um, each time. But the most important thing is I'm still here. I'm still standing. And I just, that's my goal with what I do with sharing is to, yeah, it's, you know, to explain to people, it's been rough. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. But look at me, I'm still okay. You know, you, I've survived the hardest thing that happened to me. And that makes me feel like I am so strong. And now I know I can overcome anything. And I, I hope that, you know, it's hard to see that when you're in the midst of it, but you can look back and say, wow, I really, I got through that, you know, and it gives you this sense of empowerment of I can do anything. Um, I think that, you know, you got to cross each bridge as you get there. Um, I once read something about worrying about something that hasn't even happened yet and may never happen is like forcing yourself to experience it when you never even have to, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so definitely try to just take things day by day and cross each bridge as you get there. But also, um, I think a lot of women who go through this, like I said earlier, um, can lose themselves or lose sight of who they used to be. And I think it's so important to remember who you are, who you were before and try to keep that, you know, try to keep a grasp on that. Um, and always go back to that, you know, do things that make you feel like you. All of these strong fertility advocates have inspired so many through their candor via their companies, podcasts, books, and social media profiles. Definitely check out their individual interviews and previous Responding to Life episodes, where you will hear in greater detail about their personal journeys and the strength and resilience it took for them to persevere. Plus, they share so many lessons learned from their unique experiences creating their families. I'll leave you all with one last thought about navigating infertility, one's path to parenthood, and life overall from my amazing guests. This has been a long journey and a difficult one filled with a lot of emotions and a lot of tears and sorrow, but I wouldn't change it because through it, I've obviously had the most amazing son. I feel like my husband is my true partner. Like we've had to endure this together and it's made us a stronger team. We started a foundation because of it, which I know is like my life calling. And, you know, I know that God gave me this big, loud voice that's not easily embarrassed and that I could go out and tell every nitty gritty detail so that hopefully somebody listening who has to go through this can gain some insight and either learn from my mistakes or, you know, find a tip that will help make their journey easier. To try again or not, it's such a personal thing. And I don't think that there's a right or a wrong path. Um, so much is dependent on each person what they think they can handle emotionally and physically, what their relationship can handle. I think just being really e like honest with yourself and trying to block out all of those messages from other people who kind of push you one way or the other. Um, 
and, and just get to the heart of what you want and, and kind of what your spirit can handle. Something that I found a while ago and it, it hit me because it kind of identified with the, the pain that I went through and also the healing. And it said, time does not always heal all wounds, but discovering the truth has a funny way of shaping the scars. And it's, it's so true, you know, yeah, they say time heals, but sometimes time takes forever. And then when we learn about our, our journey and we start to see why it happens and the truth of what happens in that journey, help us to check that scars that they are still not healed. And this sounds so silly, but I'll just run from my car to the door because I'm like, I have legs and I can run and that's cool. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. So I think we often forget to just look at our fingers and go, my fingers are moving. That's freaking something to be super, super grateful about. Again, I keep saying it, but that's you just, all you can do is, is, is make a choice, whether you're going to look at the bright side or the stuff that sucks. Cause there's probably, there's a whole bunch of each, right? You know, I just want to give back. Like I feel like I was so blessed to get so many wonderful women who supported me along the way that like bad day or good day, I feel so rewarding when I, I'm helping someone else out. You know, it just, it feels good to give back and be there for someone. You know, I've had four unsuccessful cycles. And so I have my days where I don't feel great. Um, and I just take a pause, you know, and, and those days I focus on being okay and doing whatever I need to do. Lots of self-care, long walks, you know, reading. And then I tell myself tomorrow's a new day. That's my motto. Thank you again to all of you for tuning in to this powerful episode. If you've experienced pregnancy loss or miscarriage, I hope you felt seen and heard as you listen to my guests share their own experiences. Fertility can feel like such an isolating season in life, but it's important to know that there are resources available to support you as you navigate the challenges of trying to conceive. You can find each of the advocates' IG handles and websites in the summary of this episode. I look forward to sharing another bonus fertility episode with you real soon. Thank you again for tuning in to Responding to Life. Thank you for listening to Responding to Life, talking health, fertility, and parenthood. If you enjoyed the show, I invite you to share it with others and leave a rating and review on whatever podcast outlet you use. To learn more on how to apply mindfulness to your life, please check out my book, The Mindfulness Journal for Parents, available on Amazon. On my website, jayatlurie.com, you can also check out older podcast episodes and so many tips on infusing mindfulness into your life, particularly if you are trying to conceive, experiencing infertility, managing your mental health, or navigating parenthood. I offer affordable online mindfulness workshops as well as private online meditation sessions. Thank you again for your support, and I look forward to sharing another inspirational story with you real soon.